Episode 223, Alisa Applewhite, Nurse and CEO. My favorite mistake is making um, business emotional. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Elisa, her companies, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake223. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Alisa Applewhite. She is the CEO of three organizations, Top of the Line Healthcare Staffing, TOTLHS, Heart of Gold, Inc., and The Real Alisa Applewhite Consulting. So Alisa describes herself. I'm sure it's a long list. I'm sure and not, there, there might be more, but uh, nurse, CEO, wife, mom, child of God, friend, daughter and sister, and uh, we will now add podcast guests. So thank you so much for being here. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Um, we we summarized it with three companies to just CEO three times. <laughs> CEO three times. Guest here one time, and, and maybe maybe there'll be more, but I will put... I will put links to all of Elisa's companies and, and websites in the show notes. And um, there's there's a lot we can talk about here today in the realm of, uh, of healthcare and uh, nursing and staffing. And, and we will tap into Elisa's um, expertise and experience. But, you know, first off, as we always do here, Elisa, I'm going to ask the question we always start off with here. From different stages of your career and different businesses, I'm curious, you know, looking back, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake is making um, business emotional. Um, So like when I think about how I made business emotional, um, as far as how I care for patients, um, that was the same way how I I was thinking of hiring my employees. And it cost me a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, It cost me a lot of money. Um, So I, I learned to get the emotional part out of hiring people when it comes to hiring people and actually hire people based on their skill um, and what they can offer to the business. So my biggest, biggest favorite mistake is doing things emotional when it comes to hiring. Yeah. When, I mean, do you remember the first, well, maybe, you know, you can tell us a little bit about your businesses too. Like the first business you started, do you remember the first hiring mistake that you're kind of thinking back to here. Oh, definitely. So we started um, healthcare staffing, top of the line healthcare staffing in May of 2021. So it's a little bit under two years. Um, I was a nurse myself for 14 years. Uh, I traveled as a nurse for seven years in healthcare altogether for 18 years. So like healthcare is my thing. I, I love healthcare. I love taking care of people. It's like very natural to me. And when I first started my business, I actually got a consultant to help me on how to do it. And they get, she gave me the order on how I should hire people um, and what I should hire and um, in the positions. But I was like, you know what? This family member needs a job. This family member needs a job. 
So I did it based on the emotion of them being my family. And when I looked, uh, when me and my husband looked at the business almost two years in, we had hired almost 18 family members and we paid them these ridiculously high, high salaries. And it, it was based on emotion. It wasn't based on the skill set that they brought to the company because everybody came from different skill sets and it was healthcare staffing was new to everybody. Um okay. It was especially new to me because I wasn't on the business side. I've always been on the nursing side. So, I'm like, you know, 50% of this, I got packed. I, I, you don't have, to, I can break down a traveler's contract. I, I negotiate my rates when it comes to recruiting. But the other part was like learn from my consultant. So, um, my whole thing was let's go ahead, let's get the family in, let's do a family business. Other people have very successful family businesses. Why can't we? Um, and it was it was based on emotion. It wasn't based on how the person's work ethic was prior to starting my business. You know, how was the normal rate that you will hire people as far as schedulers and recruiters um, or HR team? So it wasn't based on none of that. It was based on the emotional part of you're my family. And um, I want to make sure you get the best salary as possible. And I, I did that. Um, the first year with my nurses too, based on, oh man, I remember working 72 hours a week, so you should get paid this. Not knowing that there was a percentage breakdown on why you should pay a people a certain amount because you got to pay taxes and insurances and all that stuff, right? Um, so I didn't entail all that information until it was uh, probably a year, a year in, a year in, it took me to do that. And then um, the reason why we started a nonprofit is because we, we gave away so much uh, financial, um, so much money in our business to our medical professionals that my accountant said, it just makes more sense for you to start a nonprofit, you know, so you can donate to your nonprofit. And we have the Heart of Gold Gala, which we had our first one last year. Um, this was this will actually be our second year in business. So I'm excited because it's two more weeks and then I'm going to celebrate like a crazy woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. um, last year we had an event called the Heart of Gold Gala where we celebrated 52 nurses um, and medical professionals. And they got up. It was at the Hilton here in Charlotte. They got up. They got to tell their speeches about their stories, about, you know, why they love nursing and how it's impacted them. And just to be to be heard for so many years. And I had one nurse. Um, I absolutely love her. She goes, I've been a nurse for 18 years. No, I've been a nurse for 20 something years and I've never had this opportunity to tell my story. And I'm just like, that is what I want. I want people to hear what healthcare workers go through. And with that particular event, we had a chance to give $5,000 $5, to five different medical professionals to help them with debt. We had them to sign up with the credit specialist to help them understand their credit. And then we had them to sign up with the financial advisor that we used that broke down how they should apply the money to help them get out of debt to manage their credit. And for those who didn't want, um, who didn't own homes, they had a chance to partner with a realtor and a mortgage um, loan officer from a bank um, to help them prepare to buy a home within the next six months to a year. Um, so we, we did a lot of giving and we have the initiative this year is 100 nurses for 100 medical professionals um, so we can educate medical professionals on how to own homes because that's really big. It's, we make decent money as medical professionals, but when Uncle Sam takes 40% of that, 
you know, after, after a while, you almost live in check to check, but you still make enough money. You just have to know how to manage it to buy a home. And it's, it's, it was always very interesting to me how um, so many medical professionals, they work so many hours and they still didn't have a home. And it wasn't because they didn't have the money. It's because they didn't have the information. So that's why we started the um, nonprofit TOTLHS um, Hard to Go Inc. is to educate the medical medical professional on how to manage their money, but also give them assistance that they need. Um, I specifically remember being a um, nurse. Um, I had my son when I was 14. So I was a certified nursing assistant when I first started. And I remember walking to work, riding a bike to work. I remember him sleeping um, in the office rooms while I worked at night because I had nobody to watch him. So like my heart goes out to medical professionals that are just getting into it and they just don't know how to manage their money and they need a little bit of assistance. So we help with uh, utility assistance. We help with rental assistance, mortgage assistance. So that is why I did the nonprofit. She's like, you're going to sit here and raise all this money and you're going to give, you know, put your money in the nonprofit yourself. This is where you can have something dedicated to medical professionals. Um and I love teaching. I love teaching because I don't taught so many naked patients <laughs> about medications and you know, what to say to the doctor, how to say it to the doctor, just about life, right? And how to take care of themselves. So um, the real Alisa Applewhite Consulting came about because one of my good people kept contacting me. And one of my good friends was like, you just need to teach people how to do what you do. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. half of the time, I don't even know how to do uh, it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, that is how that started. And I help medical professionals to either just hone in on their craft to become very, very compassionate medical professionals. And then I also help healthcare staffing owners to target premium clients because I'm very, very blessed and fortunate. Um, less than two years, we have 70 plus clients. Our clients are really, really great clients and sought after clients. Um, but there's a method to it. And I learned the method and I actually learned the method from being a nurse. That's the crazy part. Um, so I learned the method to it. And I, I want to help other healthcare staffing owners who have been in this industry. I have I have two that reached out to me. They've been in the industry for like five years and no clients. And I'm just like, yeah, no, nah, we need to talk. Like we need to have a heart to heart because there's clients out there. And I feel like every time as a staffing owner, if you are not staffing a medical professional, that's one more patient on the floor. That's one more patient that has to sit in their urine or feces for several hours. That's one more patient who don't understand what the doctor said when it came in the room. You know, so I feel like it's like an obligation and a duty. It's as, as a nurse, I knew I had to take care of patient because that's the oath I made. So it's the same as a staffing manager, um, as a staffing owner, I have to make sure that nurse is compassionate enough to go to that bedside and truly, truly advocate for that patient. Right, right. Well, thanks you know, for giving the overview of, of the different things in your professional business portfolio. I'd love to hear more going back to starting uh, the staffing company or maybe even a little bit beforehand. Were, were you working at the bedside in early 2020 when COVID came upon us? Yes. So when 2020 came, um, I was here working in Charlotte, North Carolina um, at Atrium Health and they were cutting people hours. And um, my husband said, you know, 
they really need help in New York. And I said, I know. So we kept watching the news. And I was like, babe, I know you don't want me to go because I had just had a baby. I'm talking about she was she was like six months. And he was like, I was like, I know you don't want me to go, but I have nurses over there that's dying that were actually friends and family. I said, it's, it's bad. And I they need people with experience. And I knew that at that point, I came with 11 years of experience, with including six years of ICU experience. So I'm just like, they need people who know how to work vents. They need people you know, who know how to do drips and take care of the patients to the best of their ability. And um, I convinced my husband, <laughs> I convinced my husband to take a risk and, you know, potentially lose his wife to go fight this battle. And um, I went and I, I always tell people this, Mark, like I was prayed up. I've always been prayed up. And I pray like from when I got there, I pray every night I left. Um, it was so rough um, when we worked in New York that um, we would not get off. Like I would be scheduled. I would work from seven in the morning till seven at night and nurses wouldn't show up. So sometimes I would work till 11 at night. Um, and I would do that for seven days straight. It, it became like almost habitual as when you walk in that building, you won't guarantee the leave. And then sometimes it was so bad. You would have nurses like literally, um, and doctors just cry and break down because I always tell people this, um, you're not, when you're in the healthcare field and you're in the ICU, you're in the ER, you're in the field of recovery, you know, you're not used to seeing this much death. Mm. And when you are in hospice or something, you're expected for it. You know, when you're, you're expecting people to pass away, it's almost expected. But when you are putting five to 10 people in a body bag per day, oh, that, yeah. that's, that's just mentally on anybody. Um, and that is what I experienced um, myself in New York specifically, um, putting that many people in bags. And um, the nurses that I worked beside that we we just all, you know, we all knew we was in it and we would show up. And then the next day you would see the nurse and show up and you're like, what happened? And you're like, oh, you know, she died from COVID. And it, it oh. just it's, it's like, wow, that could be me. You know, this this nurse left five kids um, five kids with her spouse and she was just here trying to defend the virus and stick to her oath, you know? So, um, I particularly remember, um, we had one patient, um, and he, he was 18 years old and I'm just like, I, I couldn't hold it together. And the doctors are there with me. The doctors in New York were awesome. I'm telling you, I've never worked with doctors that were so hands-on. Like they help us bathe the patients, change the patients, they were there. I've never had doctors like that. And we we're sitting here and we're crying. And I'm just like, man, this, this 18, like, I remember when I was 18 and I was complaining to my mom, you know, like, um, I, I don't, I, I don't know why somebody should be looking at their death at 18. And the doctor said to me that click, he said, you know, he's 18 you know, and we're going to do everything we can to save his life, but he doesn't look like he's going to make it, Elisa. So we got to live our lives for him. And it just clicked for me like, wow, you know, and I said, that just makes so much sense. Like I'm here to intake these stories. I'm here to 
you know, console the family members and you, you can only console them over the phone because they couldn't come in person, you know? So it was like every patient I was there with, I was singing gospel songs. I'm really heavy on gospel songs because they motivational. They keep you going. Like I didn't need to hear nothing that was going to get me angry or something. I needed something to keep mm-hmm. me going yeah. and keep yeah. me spiritually motivated. So um, I was singing gospel songs to them and I will always say to them before I put them in the body bag, I will pray and I will say, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to, um, whatever your dreams and aspirations were, you know, God just help me get them so I can live my life. Any excuses from this point on, I'm not going to have any excuses. So I remember um, going from there, I went to California and did the same thing in California. I mean, I think California patients were, um, it was totally different. Those body bags, um, they were probably 10 to 15 a day. It was, it was a lot. Um, so when I got home, I told my husband, I found myself traveling home every week, um, as it was calming down. And I told my husband, I said, we're starting a business. And he said, well, why are we starting a business? I said, because I've been wanting to start a business for the last four years and I've been putting on excuses. And one thing I realized is that when you put somebody in a body bag and they held these things so valuable to them, like their clothes, their jewelry, you know, their their jewelry, their shoes, whatever, it was valuable to them. You had a lot of people with rosaries on, you know, and that was valuable to them. And now this stuff had to either be burnt because we didn't give it to the family or it just had to be destroyed. And I'm like, I'm tired of focusing on materialistic stuff. And I want to focus on things that's going to help me build wealth for my family and my kids so I can spend more time with my kids, you know, and teach them how to be better people. I'm like, I have to live my dreams for everybody that I zipped up in this body bag because they don't have the option anymore. And that's what we did. Um, So COVID affected me mentally. And the crazy part was my kids didn't pick up to it. My mom, my sisters, Nobody did. My husband sat me down and he said, babe, something is wrong. Um, We need for you to go talk to somebody. That is when I went to talk to my psychologist um, and he just helped me get through that traumatic era. But COVID was COVID was the game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It, it, It turned me into the CEO that I am now. Wow. Well, thank you for your service to people as a nurse and running to where the need was, to where the problem and the the sickness and the death was, that's really special. So thank you for, for taking that on in a time when a lot of people, for their own reasons and understandably so, right. uh, were moving away from healthcare. And, and there had been trends happening before COVID. So, I mean, there is a real need. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about um why there is this need for the staffing agencies um, for uh, providing quote unquote traveler nurses or, you know, um, what some people might call temporary. That's not the right word. Traveler is what people say in healthcare. Mm -hmm. But can you talk about some of those dynamics of, um, you know, why healthcare organizations use a firm like yours to uh, make sure they have the right staffing levels? Well, I always say, Mark, this is what I say. You have a, CEO or somebody who's making the decision, hey, let's build this extra building, <laughs> right? They they have this decision of let's build this extra building. And it's great because they're trying to help the population, but they never really figure out the true ratios of the nurses on the floors, right? They never really figure out the true ratios that a medical professional can have 
um, on a unit as far as a, a doctor, a respiratory therapist. Um, so they say, you know, okay, as a med surgeon nurse, it's standard based on the areas. You can have anywhere from five to seven patients. And they never look at that med surgeon nurse that has the max of seven patients and say, hey, this is seven pneumonia patients, meaning I'm going to pass the antibiotics until the time I leave. Or, you know, this is five cardiac patients and one just, two just had a cardiac calf. One, you know, they have um, the heart, the TEE. And then you have another one that's getting ready to go to a cardiac calf. Like they never say that. And, oh God, let's let's not get one that got to get ready for a prep, you know, for endoscopy or something. So it's like you, you got to prep patients and that five can be enough to drive anybody crazy. And I think that is what why we need um, more medical professionals and um, in the ears of the CEOs and the people that are um, making the decisions to say, hey, the number looks great. Yeah, five patients for the number, but we really have to look at what is what is included in the number. So until somebody truly sits down, and that is one of our goals here with top of the, the consulting company, is uh, we coming up with a program and we're working on it on how to educate hospitals on how to maintain and keep their staff and the importance on you know why it is important to do certain things when it comes to medical professionals because nurses literally staff about 80% of any hospital, right? And you can't operate institutions without a, a registered nurse. So um I know how to do that from the back of my right. hand, right? <laughs> like right. in charge nurse in the ER, ICU, um, I med is telly, I, psychiatric. So it's like it is it's swaying that way to go and make that plan to help hospitals. Um, but you need temporary staffing because number one, it's, it's really hot, it's really um, expensive to hire staff that don't stay, right? Um, so you're going to all these expenses of hiring a staff member, and then they don't stay. But when you have a temporary staff coming in or a travel nurse coming in, you're paying that travel company one rate, right? And then hospitals have to worry about insurances. So you have to worry about liabilities and workers' comps when it comes to um, these medical professionals. But that's all in one when you pay for a travel nurse, right? That's all in at one rate. And if something happens to that medical professional while they're there, this is no longer your liability. Um, and some of them costs can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, where now that's the staffing agency's liability um, to come in and pay for that. So that decreases the cost for the hospital. Um, but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes the travel rates can be very, very expensive in hospitals and they cannot uh, expand that for such a long time. Um, and the great thing with COVID was they had, they gave them so many incentives and tax breaks and credits. And that's, that's how they were able to bring in so many medical professionals um, at one time. Um, so I think that that is why medical professionals, when it comes to travel staffing, they'll always be around um, because we just haven't figured out how to truly staff, you know, and medical professionals, they, they get exhausted. Sometimes they get tired. And after you can only work short so many times, you can only, you know, chair in and stick in so many times before you don't get the help. And it's just like, all right, I can go somewhere else. You know, I can go somewhere else. And that place may still end up beating, being the same way. But at the same time, I'm willing to take a new risk because this place might give me five or $10 more. Um, 
And I don't know how they, um, I really don't know how they come up with their pricing for medical professionals, but I remember being a RN, a registered nurse in the ER making $22 an hour. And then as I traveled as a registered nurse, I was making anywhere from $40 to $50 an hour. So it, it's a big difference, you know, when you, especially when you have experience, you're just like, no, nah, I got too much experience in as an RN working in the staff facility before I, I went to f- travel full time, I think I maxed out at like $38 an hour. This was a very, very, very prestigious hospital. Um, but it was like, hey, you're working for this prestigious hospital. That should matter. It matters, right. but, <laughs> you know, the government's going to take 40% of that. Right. Well, <laughs> prestige doesn't pay the bills. I mean, right. Right. So but, that's what I think it is. Yeah. So um, I want to talk more about staffing and some of these dynamics, but I want to maybe close the loop on the story that you told up front, Elisa, of um, you know hiring family members into different types of roles. Um, did you, I mean, did, did you see performance issues? Did you end up having to let some of them go? I imagine that must have been really hard to work through. It was. So it was performance issues. Um, and... It was like, you know, um, my child is sick and I got to be off or can I work virtual? I have a doctor's appointment or I don't feel like coming in the day. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I overslept. So it was it was um, they were as dedicated as I believe they could be. But I gave them no structure. I was like, you know, hey, we're family. You need a day off. Just be off. You know, and that's not how you run a business. Um, And. You know, if you're late, it's okay. There's no punitive or anything that we're going to do because we're family. We're here to work things out. Um, Now, granted, um, with my family and us working, we generated about uh, over less than two years because two years will be May of this year. We generated over $5 million in revenue. So we did something effective um, to do the revenue, but it was a lot of chaos and um, it lacked structure. And when I get from now from my um, consultant that I'm seeing now, which is uh, Brandon Dawson that works with uh, Grant Cardone's group, um, him and his wife, Natalie Dawson, is just that I didn't give the structure. I didn't give them direct direction on where we were growing. I would just motivate them, but didn't give them the steps on, okay, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do to grow. So what ended up happening is because of their salaries, we won't, we wasn't bringing in enough revenue to cover their salaries alone. I had to let a lot of them go. Um, so it's like now we're in the restructuring phase, but we still have the medical professionals. We still have our clients and we are trying to restructure it in a way where it can be better organized and it can be, you know, repeated because um, our goal is to franchise in the next year. Mm. New new goals ahead. Yes. <laughs> interesting to see. Well, maybe we'll have you back, um, you know, for, for other appearances as you do new things. And look, doing new things making means making new mistakes. So I appreciate your willingness. Yes. Um, to, to share with us here. But, you know, I do want to go back, though, because, you know, um, listeners might not know, but, you know, at least I have some professional overlap. Or even though I'm an engineer, I've done a lot of work in healthcare. Um, since 2005, trying to help uh, people improve. And as an industrial engineer, like such a core issue to my background is this question of staffing levels. 
Uh-huh. You mentioned, Elisa, that there was a standard, but that might not be sufficient. Yeah. Right? We might have staffing level uh, mistakes. And, yeah. you know, I've, I, it's been eye opening and frustrating, um, you know, to, it's funny, you know, um, on one hand, healthcare leaders will kind of, you know, my start my career manufacturing and they'll say, oh, what we do in healthcare is far more complicated. What could we learn from manufacturing? Uh-huh. But, and they'll say, well, our, our patients are so unique and there's so much variation, but then the staffing is based on like this really simplistic rule. Right. Like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm arguing the other side. But yeah. I think there is, even if we're not going to learn from manufacturing, like you have to look at the actual workload and listen and observe. If people are overwhelmed and overloaded, you've got to look at the right staffing levels that ensure safety and quality. And then that, when that's not happening, I, I know I'm giving a little speech here, but I'll hand it back to you, Elisa. That's where people get frustrated and discouraged and quit. Then the hospital short staffed. And if they can't hire people full time, then they go to the staffing agency. And like you said, it might be people now who who are saying my words, not yours. But, you know, I've heard people say, well, um, if this is if this is the way it's going to be, I'm going to at least I'm going to make more money. Yeah. And that doesn't make everything OK, but. <laughs> It's just it's it's um, it's frustrating to see sometimes healthcare will say, "Hey, we're different," but then they won't do the things that you would expect a different type of industry, if you will, right? Do in terms of caring for the nurses so that they can better care for the patients. So I, it resonates what you're saying there. Of you know, um, every patient is uh, not the same amount of workload and. Ah, okay. And, and I'll climb down for my soapbox. What, no, I let, love let me turn it. it back to you. I love it, Mark. Like, because you understand, you, you said the key word workload. People don't understand, like as a medical professional, if you are on a med surge floor, they're just like, okay, you're on a med surge floor. All you're doing is giving antibiotics. You know, all you're doing is preparing people for uh, testing. But what if they're just not regular people? What if you have psychiatric patients, you know, the ones that attack you, the ones that hit you, the ones that throw their own stool? at you what if you have those patients you have to clean that up you know plus still deal with the other patients that got procedures and tests and god knows i love people to death mark i do but nurses know family members they can make stuff extra they can make it extra extra and they're just like i want my mom to have this at one o'clock at two o'clock you know and then i honestly believe that before nurses used to say the older nurses well we used to do this all and didn't have to do computer work that that's a difference right you could write down your notes at the end of your shift or you know write whatever you had to now you got to learn this computer system tap into this computer system scan this medication with this and god knows if you have an error going on with the medication scanner like if that doesn't work you have to wait on pharmacy to bring your medications and in some hospitals i remember um some rural hospitals where I had to make my own IV medications. They would tell you one drug and this drug and how to mix it. And you would have to do it because they didn't have night pharmacy, but it didn't matter because this is what we said is set in the patient ratios for this particular medical professional, regardless on if these patients are on this floor, this is supposed to be a cardiac floor. But what about overflow? What about when the other units are filled up and now you only have cardiac beds and you have to fill it up? They even put med surge patients in ICU beds. Those beds are like 20, 30,000 a night. Like it's so it's like 
as I've heard nurses say that all the time too, if I'm going to sit here and work this hard anyway, I might as well work hard and get extra money, you know, and with top of the line, what we say to our medical professionals is, you know, we want you to work, uh, not hard, but smart, but we want you to do it with compassion. I don't want, they have this stigma that, Hey, Oh, travel nurses coming in. They're not going to do their paperwork. They're not going to take care of their patients. They get missing. And I'm living proof. I've been a travel nurse for seven years of my career. And no matter what hospital I went to, they always wanted to hire me full time. The nurses, like I built these relationships with them. I can go in any state that I've worked in and live in these nurses homes because they knew that I gave the patients all that I can give them, you know, in me, because it's not about how much you pay me. It's about me taking care of that patient right now. Yes. I know that I'm going to be a bad nurse. I know that when I go into a building, I I'm going to give them all, I'm going to give them all the education. I'm going to give them all the compassion and I know I'm going to give them all the care. So why not get paid for it? You know? So me as an owner, it's like now you can advocate for your medical professionals to not only pay them premium pay, but say now for all those hard words, for all those moments you felt like you was forgotten, for all those times you felt like nobody was hearing you, we hear you here. We have monthly meetings for our medical professionals where we get together and we talk as with me, with the CEO. That's a big thing to me. How can you work in some institutions and never meet the head of the building? Like, I get it. You're busy. But if you didn't have these people working here, you wouldn't have the CEO job, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, yes. come down and meet me. And there's so many institutions I worked at where I never met the CEO or the uh, the the nurse. What is it? The director of nursing. And like you're you're in my head. I post a report to you. So um, it's like we have that. Like I'm, I tell people, I'm a person. I'm a person. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. You know, first and foremost, I love God and fear God. And I just want people to know that I really care about what I'm doing. When I give care to patients, I want patients to know that I really care. And even as a CEO now. People think it's crazy. I, when I have my clients, I will go work in my clients' facilities just to see what my nurses are going to experience and do like a survivor's package or something for my nurses. Um, but also to say to my clients, like, hey, I'm I'm not good. I'm not too good to ever come off these shoes and come down there and help you out when you're in a crisis, right? I'm there to help. So um, when you are speaking just now, Mark, you like, you were in my mind, like people don't know that part the workload, the patient care. So I appreciate that. And no, don't ever stop. Keep talking about it because it's so true. Um, and I just want to have nurses say, okay, we can't quit, right? We all can't quit. But what we can do is we can fight for higher pays. And what we can do is show patients that it's truly about compassion. Because at the end of the day, Mark, and I mean, I don't understand why normal people don't think about this. You could be driving a car and become a patient. You could be walking, become a patient. I could be talking right now and have a stroke, you know, like at any moment, you're going to need a medical professional to have enough compassion to care about you, to still treat you with the dignity and treat you as a human when you are at your most vulnerable needs. And why can't you invest in these people so they can be the best they can? Because we sacrifice a lot, you know, emotionally, mentally, we sacrifice a lot. So I'm the advocate on the nurse's yeah. side and the CNA side and medical professionals. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are because when leaders, you know, directors, VP, chief nursing officer, chief executive officer, 
when they stay in their offices all day long, mm-hmm. they, they're not exposed to the real reality that the nurses and other healthcare professionals um, are, are going through. And like you said, just showing, for one, showing that you care, two, you know, I think helping eliminate barriers. Uh, you know, what are the reasons why people are having to work so hard? Problems with the IT systems or EHR that could hopefully be fixed. Why is it so hard to go find your supplies and medications? Why are certain systems so slow? If you don't fix those things, people might quit no matter how much you're paying them or how many bonuses or rewards that you're giving. Like leaders, I mean, we'll climb up on the soapbox together because like to me, this is lessons from good business management or manufacturing management of, Mm -hmm. of, of executives need to really, really understand what, what, what is causing struggle for their staff. Right. That's the first step. It's that small thing, like you said, supplies. It, it doesn't make sense. How can we not have supplies to take care of the patients, but we got the orders to do it? You know, and that little thing could be like, oh, I'm tired of looking for supplies. I ain't coming back tomorrow. <laughs> right. What's the last straw? But, you know, you, you you talk about patients and, you know, I would be the the, the first to help amplify a message that, um, you know, patient families or, or patients, look, their role is important. They shouldn't be disrespectful or demanding. Yes. Um, that's that's a problem. But, you know, in one of your videos about nursing mistakes, there's a really common problem you describe where, for whatever reasons, nurses don't always listen to the patient members, fam- the, the patient's family member about their condition changing. Um, I interviewed a woman once. I think 2009 it was on a different podcast, Sorrel King, whose daughter, Josie, um, was was really young and died in the hospital. And basically, like, as the mother, she knew her daughter was getting dehydrated and her condition was getting worse and, and nobody listened to her. Wow. And, um, you know, she started a foundation, the Josie King Foundation, um, to try to help here. But one of your videos, I was going to ask you, uh, Alisa, you said there was a time we're listening to the family-led to saving a patient's life. Like, yes. I mean, this is really, really serious. Do, can can you share some of that story with us? Oh, definitely. Um, I'll never forget that story. So um, I was a travel nurse, again, in a hospital, charge nurse. The crazy part was I was a travel nurse that was in charge. And um, the doctor had called me. I had formed a relationship with the doctors there, the emergency room, the ICU, because they would, they would change me throughout the whole building because of my skill set. And the doctor called me, she said, look, girl, I'm sending you up a patient. Um, and they did the scan and everything. We just got to keep them till tomorrow where we can, um, do an MRI. We could send them out for an MRI, this particular hospital. I don't think they had the MRI during the night. Anyway, we could do an MRI in the morning. And, um, We'll, we'll check him out then. Um, but he's really antsy. Um, I want to give him some meds to calm him down. And I'm just like, okay, you know, send him on up. So they send him up and he's very antsy moving and doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, there's no way you have no care at home. So I'm reading the report and the report says, um, lives at home by himself. Um, and he just started acting like this 48 hours and I'm just like, okay, this is all on the report. And I go in the room and thank God the family member was there and she was sitting there in the chair. And um, I said, well, um, there's no way he lives at home by himself 
and he's acting like this, like presenting like this, like who's watching him? I said, did anybody ask you? She said, I told them this story three times. He drives his car by himself. He lives by himself. I said, uh, what about his talking? I had did a, a stroke assessment on him um, really quickly and he, everything, slurred speech, everything spoke stroke, everything spoke stroke. And I said, um, how was his talking? She said, ma'am, he talked perfectly fine. She said, I'm, I'm so tired of repeating this to people. And I said, no, it's okay. I'm so sorry for your frustration, but talk to me, tell me, I think I can help you. And she said, well, he woke up this morning and um, when I got up, this is how he was. He was antsy. He was moving. Um, his his speech was slurred. So I brought him to the hospital because I thought he had a stroke. They kept him down in the emergency room. And she said, I kept telling them that, you know, this is not him. He was just driving and everybody kept looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm just like, I, I don't believe you're crazy. I said, so tell me what scan did they do downstairs? And she said, they wouldn't let me go with him. They went down, they took him by himself to go get a scan. So I said, okay, I could look it up. So I go and look in the report and Mark, no lie. The only scan they did on this man was an x-ray. I said, what? I said, who? <laughs> Wait a minute. So the only thing they did was an x-ray. So the doctor, she was coming in her ship. And, you know, again, doctors get overwhelmed and overloaded. So she was coming in her shift and I called her and I was like, look, sis, because we were just real close. I said, they only did an x-ray on this guy. He is strictly, he, I said, he's presenting as a stroke. I don't know what type of stroke, but this is a stroke presentation if I ever seen it in my life. And she was like, okay, let me see if they did a CT. And she looked, she was like, oh my God, they didn't do a CT. So I was like, I'm working in the emergency room tonight. And she said, well, you know, they had so many people to call out. They got some new grads there. And he was assigned to a new grad, you know, and it's okay to be a new grad in the emergency room, long as you're a new grad with an experienced nurse, right? Long as somebody's there looking um, so you can be learning. Um, and I'm like, look, you need to send him to a CT. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. I said, look, you going to send him to a CT or I'm going to call a cold stroke all night long. <laughs> you know, so she, you know, when you call a cold stroke, everybody come, you just interrupt the whole process. So she's like, no, sis, I'm going to listen to you. We send this man downstairs to get a head CT. He had a hemorrhagic stroke, right? Um, So what, for people who don't know what a hemorrhagic stroke is, is a, a brain, brain bleed. So it's when, something, a vessel has bust in your brain and it's literally pushing your brain to one side of your, your cranial area where you having pressure, you having confusion, you just not yourself. Some people can walk, some people can't, they'll, they'll fall. And, you know, so he was presenting exactly like a stroke patient. We got a chance to rush him to Duke hospital, um, in North Carolina where he got that help that night. And the lady, I remember her coming up to me the next morning and she was like, thank you so much for saving my dad's life. And I'm just like, girl, look, let me tell you something. This is what I tell all my people. When you know that you know that you know that something is wrong with your family member, you don't stop talking until somebody does something. I want to see the doctor. I want to see the administrator. I want to see the owner of this floor. I want to see the CEO. Like you don't stop because sometimes you are the only voice that can save their lives. And it's, it's, it's crazy, but, um, 
Like I'm trying not to cry because it happened with my daughter. Uh, I, I, I've never been an L&D nurse. I've never been an L&D nurse. I had five kids of my own. I, I didn't want to see anybody's vaginas. I was, <laughs> I was overseeing that stuff. Yeah. So um, my daughter came out breathing. She came out breathing funny. And the nurse said, oh, no, that's normal. That's how children breathe. <gasps> and I'm just like, ma'am, I'm. I've been a nurse. I do my nurse card. I've been a yeah. nurse for us uh, 18 years. I know this is not how anybody breathes. I need for you to go ahead and get a nurse in here with more experience. She got a NICU nurse in there. That NICU nurse came in. She was like, no, she can't breathe. Took her in the NICU. She ended up in NICU for two weeks. Um, her nose has swelled up from a latex reaction that she had from the suction canisters that they gave. And I remember that nurse coming in. She's like, I'm so sorry. And she was in tears. And I said, don't be sorry, but listen to the family. And whenever you are in doubt or whenever you feel like you hear the family's in doubt or you just need a second opinion, this is what your team is for. Go get them. You know, you're not in this alone. You don't have to feel like oh, you're bothering them because some medical professionals will say that. Don't keep coming ask me questions. I'm yeah. going to ask you questions as long as I'm taking care of somebody's life. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're irritated or not. Somebody mm-hmm. going to answer my questions because this person, if they died, ain't no coming back from that. No. Right. Right. Wow. Um, our guest today, uh, Elisa Applewhite, uh, as she said, CEO three times, nurse, mother, um, advocate, I'll throw that word in there. But, you know, I want to thank you so much, Elisa, for, for one, telling your story and being willing, you know, to do that with, um, you know, mistakes that you've learned from in, in your business. But, you know, thank you as, as a nurse and as a leader for helping others, for speaking up mm-hmm. and for, for being an advocate for others and, you know, for providing the right care and doing the right thing for people. So, you know, thank you for all of that. Um, there's, there's so much we could, we could probably, maybe we do another episode sometime just again on medical mistakes and, you know, your guidance, not just for nurses, but for patients and family members, um, for administrators, there's, there's a lot we could talk about. So thank you for having some of that conversation here today. You are truly welcome. Thank you for having me. And I am diving into that Lean Hospitals book because I was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I, I hope that's uh, helpful. And um, no, I appreciate you reading it. And thank you for mentioning mentioning the book. There's, there's got to be a book in you at some point before we wrap up here, just to plant I that idea. I created a book. <laughs> I created a book. It comes out May 23rd. Um, yeah, it is called the real, I mean, Lord, make the call to get the client, how um you can help, how you can help healthcare staffing owners create seven figures in their business. Um, So that is the first book that will be out May 23rd. And I'm actually working on my second book. So I'm excited. I'm so excited because um, I really want to change healthcare. Uh, before I die, I want to make sure that I did everything I could to help people to educate them. Because it's just yeah. education that we don't have. That's all. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations um, with that. And good luck with the uh, the other books. We'll, we'll find an excuse, plenty of reasons to talk again. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. It's been a real pleasure meeting you. You are welcome. Thank you for having me, Mark. I appreciate this. Well, thanks again to Elisa for being our guest today. To learn more about her, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 223. And don't forget to check out my book, The Mistakes That Make Us at mistakesbook.com. 
As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.